open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. And uh, from chapters 5 and 6 and 7, those three chapters is the topic of sexual immorality. And tonight's title is Sexual Sin, a Matter of Life or Death. In the end, and chapter 7 is the end of, of, again, Solomon's instructions to the young. And again, it's not just instructions to the young, but he is dealing with the youth. But those instructions are the same for all people of any age. And in the, in the end, sexual sin is deadly. This is the third time that Solomon brings the young person back to God's word here in verses 1 through 5. Because keeping God's commandments, that's a matter of life or death. God doesn't speak to us just to speak. He doesn't speak just to hear himself speak or to waste breath. He speaks to us for a reason, that we might hear him, that we might obey him. Chapter 7 here clearly describes an immature young man who falls into the trap of the adulterous woman. If we love God's wisdom the way we love those in our family, we wouldn't want to visit the house of the adulteress. Let's begin now with Proverbs 7, verse 1. Solomon begins, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. The teacher here instructs his pupil, like he did in chapter 2, verse 1. He instructs him to abide by the rules that he gives him. Now, in the King James, it says there in verse 1, to lay up. Here it says, keep my words. But in the King James Version, it says, lay up, which means to hoard. To hoard God's word like a precious treasure. A metaphor, for, a metaphor from treasure that's not left open in the house, but it's locked up in chests out of sight so it wouldn't get lost. Verse 2, Solomon goes on and says, keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. We've all heard the familiar phrase, the apple of your eye. It literally means a little man of the eye. Because of the tiny reflection, you know, when you look into somebody's eye, you see the tiny reflection of the person, in the eye of the person you're looking into. And so it literally means the little man of the eye because of the tiny reflection of objects seen in the pupil of the eye, especially of the person who looks into another person's eye. It's a well-known expression for anything that's especially precious. You know, that, oh, she's the apple of my eye, my granddaughter, she's the apple of my eye, or whatever that object might be. So again, it's an expression for anything that's especially precious and could be injured unless it's protected with the greatest care. Now, we protect our eyes, don't we? Because they're valuable to us. With the same idea, we should honor and protect God's word by obeying them. Look at verse 3 now. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, when he says them, all right, like bind them and write them, he's talking about God's words. He's talking about God's commands. And so... Some think that that this is speaking of the phylacteries that were worn in those days. Now, phylacteries were worn both on the hand and the forehead. The phylactery was a little leather box, all right, with strips of parchment inside the leather box, 
And on these part, parchments were written four scriptures. Exodus 13, 1 through 10. Exodus uh, 13, 11 through 16. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Those scriptures were kept in that, that leather box. That box was attached to a leather strap and it was wound seven times around the arms and three times around the middle finger. And the remainder passed around the hand. Again, verse 3 says, Write them, that is, write God's words and God's commands upon the tablet of your heart. Not just having it in your mind, but to have it written in your heart. Verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. Solomon says to love wisdom like a sister, and to make insight a beloved member of your family. Wisdom is personalized here. And the connection with her, indicated by the relationship, a sister, which best expresses love, purity, uh, purity, and confidence. Solomon says, let wisdom and good sense be as treasured to you as a close friend or a family member. Verse 5. That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. You know, when our heart is filled with love, with a love of what's good, good things, then it's, then it's prepared, it's armed against the temptations of evil desires. You know, when our heart is filled with the right things, we're not going to fall into temptations. We're not going to fall for evil desires and those pleasures or whatever the temptation might be that, that, that might lure your soul away from God and your service to him. Solomon says, let wisdom keep you from the strange and the evil woman. If she should overwhelm you with flattering words. Now, in verses 6 through 23, we are shown here how, how great the danger is presented by the seductions of the immoral woman, the temptress. And Solomon isn't giving us just a general idea. He's not giving us his own thoughts. It's not just a simple representation that Solomon is giving us of what he's trying to get across. What Solomon is speaking about here, it's an actual example of what he had seen take place right in front of his own eyes. Beginning with verse 6. Notice he says... For at the window of my house, notice, or from the window of my house, he says, I look through my lattice. So here's an example. Here's the example that's mentioned here. Solomon says, at the window of my house. So he was looking out the window of his house. He gives a clear description of something that he personally saw taking place outside of his house. Like many times we may look out our front window and we're looking at the neighborhood and and we see something that the neighbor's doing or something that's taking place across the street. And he gives a clear description here of what he saw. He says here, I looked through the lattice of my window. Now the lattice, the lattice worked like our blinds do today to keep out the sun. While the same, at the same time, it lets in the cool air into the room. And we see it described in Judges chapter 5, verse 28. The person inside the house could see everything that went by in the street without themselves being seen by anyone outside. Verse 7. So it says in verse 6, he says, At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, my lattice, in verse 7, he says, And saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Even though it was dark, there was enough light for the moon or stars or from the houses in the neighborhood 
that had their lights on so that Solomon could see what was going on outside. Now, the word simple there in verse 7, when he says, I saw among the simple, the word simple here means the inexperienced, those who are easily led astray. So Solomon says, as I'm looking out my window at this, in this, into the street, he says, I see a bunch of young guys out there. And I see other people going there. They're going there, they're going about their business without a care in the world among them. And he says, as I'm watching and I see all these folks outside, I see a bunch of young guys out there and they're going about their business. They don't have a care in the world. He says, I notice a particular young man. And he says there in verse seven, he's devoid of understanding. That means he has no purpose. He has no aim. He's simple minded. He had no deliberate intention of sinning. But he puts himself in harm's way. He puts himself in the way of temptation. He was hanging out on the borders of wrongdoing. Human nature stays the same in every age, from the very first man to the very last man on this earth. The natures are the same. We have that sinful nature that we got from Adam. The descriptions of the temptations that the troubled, that the, that the troubled youth of Jerusalem here is exactly the same as what we see in our day. There's no sin that can't be had today, and especially in this age of technology. You can, get a, you can get onto the computer, and sin is just a click away, whatever your desire is. And the way of escape was available to him. All right, there is no temptation, Paul said, that, that, that we aren't able to escape. He said, there's no temptation that's common to man. And with every temptation, God gives us a way of escape. But this man here, he wouldn't take it. You see, he entertained the idea. He entertained the idea of being with this woman instead of fleeing from her. And it can be said about a person like this that they lack understanding or they lack heart. Verse 8. Solomon says he was passing along the street near her corner and he took the path to her house. When it says near her corner, it means that he, this young man, kept near the corner of this woman's house and he waited for her. Now, another reading says that he didn't take the broad open street, but he snuck around the, at the he sneaked around at corners where he could watch the woman's house without anybody seeing him. Again, in the King James Version, it says he went the way to her house. In other words, he strolled slowly along, hoping that something would happen. And then, or or that the opportunity of sin could present itself, again, even in places that you're not looking for it. All places, wherever we go, it offers temptations. All times have their temptations. All conditions, all actions, and all persons offer temptations. And that's why we have to keep a constant watch where we go, what we do, who we're around. Because we are never secure anywhere that we go or at any time or condition. That's why we always have to be praying, Lord, as I go out today, watch over me, protect me. Give me wisdom and discernment can I, so that I can see things that, that I wouldn't normally see. Watching and praying that these temptations don't catch me off guard. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence. Verse 9. 
Solomon goes on to say, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. That's when this young man was out in the street. Verse 9, it's, it's worded in such a way to distinguish it from the morning twilight. Solomon here sees this young man pacing back and forth in the early evening hours. And he's still watching and he's still waiting when it's the darkest time of the night. It was the darkest time of the night. Verse 10. Solomon says, And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. So this young man, as he's watching, he's hanging out at the corners, he's watching for this opportunity to send. He's watching to, 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 to catch this woman. Verse 10, it says that his, his long watch finally pays off. The woman finally comes out of her house and into the street. And what does it say in verse 10? It says, it says and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot. In other words, she's dressed to kill. With the attire of a harlot. She's dressed like a prostitute. And the way she's dressed catches his attention. It catches his eye immediately. And that's the way that she was dressed. That's why she was dressed that way. And, and, and that's what it was supposed to do. It was to catch this man or, or, or any, you know, takers. And it, it identifies her. She dressed in some very noticeable way, in a very noticeable clothing, very different from the modern clothing, the modern clothing of the pure and honest woman that Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 3. Solomon said also at the end of verse 10 that she had a crafty heart. That literally means she had a concealed heart. For example, she, she shields, she hides her real feelings. She pretends. And maybe, you know, pretends to have affection for her husband or, 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 or love for her lover here like this young man. While all along, the only thing she wants is to satisfy her, her lustful desires. Now here in verses 11 through 12, it describes the character and the habits of this woman, not as she appeared on this occasion, but again, remember, Solomon saw her. He knows who this is. Verse 11. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Solomon's basically saying she's stubborn. She's wild. She has no limits. She's like that, 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 that person who has no restrictions. She's the opposite of the careful, the careful modest, godly woman who, who, who manages her home, who takes care of her family. It says that he, Solomon's saying she's always restless. Verse 12. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. Solomon says one minute she'd be outside, you know, she'd be outside her own door. One minute she's out in the open street. The woman isn't represented as a common prostitute, but as a shameless wife here in this situation, who in her unbridled lustfulness, she's ask, act, acting like a harlot. Solomon said she lurks. At every corner. The word lurks means to lie in, in ambush. Trying to seduce some poor victim. And then the story goes on. The writer here returns to what he saw on this occasion that he's talking about. Look at verse 13. He tells what he sees. So she caught him and she kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. In other words, the woman had no shame. She was like Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39 when she seduced Joseph. She had a boldness and she was shameless. 
She said, it says here, with a bold and shameless face, she grabbed this young man, she kissed him and told him just what he wanted to hear. Again, in verse 14, she says to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. Notice that she's religious or she's pretending to be. She leads this young man to believe that she's right with God. She says, I have peace offerings with me. I paid my vows. The feast was ready. And she invites her lover into her house to share it with her. Now, the purpose and the meaning of the religious feast is totally ignored or forgotten. All right. She says that, you know, I I have peace offerings. Me, I've paid my vows. But if that's the case, it didn't mean anything to her. Just like many times we may know the word of God and we know what it says and we know what it teaches. But you know what? It doesn't do any. It doesn't. It doesn't change the way I live. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, I'm in I'm in sin. You know, and it's designed and its purpose is to guide me in the way that I live, the way I serve God. But again, the purpose and the meaning of this religious feast, she is she totally ignores this or she's forgotten it. And Solomon says that this shameless woman uses this opportunity for nothing more than a convenient way to carry out her sin. Verse 15. Solomon says, so I, she says, so I came out, notice she tells the young man, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face and I have found you. Now she uses religion as a trick to carry out her actions. Trying to, you know, trying to blind the convictions of this young man or his conscience. You know, trying to, trying to get him to get rid of any doubts that he has you know, that, that this shouldn't, that this isn't right. I shouldn't do this, you know, to, and to satisfy his pride. In other words, in verse 15, she says, you know what, man, you're the, you're the guy that I was looking for all the time. All this time I was looking out for you. I came out here to find you and here you are. You know, again, feeding into his pride, feeding into that desire that he wanted to be with this woman. And you know, and many times when Satan, when Satan many times sets us up for that fall, we think many times, oh, it must be the Lord's will. And in many, many years of marriage counseling, when, when I had a couple or, you know, that, that, that their marriage was, was in, in bad shape and, and, you know, there was, a, there was an affair, you know, and it was, whether, whether it was the young man or the young woman, you know, one of them would say, you know, whichever, whoever I was speaking to and whichever the case was, that, you know, you know I, I didn't mean for it to happen. You know, my marriage wasn't, wasn't doing good. You know, my husband and I are having problems right now. And, you know, you know I, I met this person at work and they're really nice. And, you know, that, you know they, they listen to me and, and they just, you know, they're just, they're so sympathetic and, and they're just basically everything that, that my husband or wife isn't. And then, you know, we, we innocently went out, you know, to lunch. And that's how it starts. And, you know, they, one of the things that I hear many times, oh, I had such a peace with this person. I had such a peace that I don't have with my spouse. And, 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 and then I've heard them say, you know, I, I just felt it was God's will. And yet God's word tells us specifically you know, that, that, that you know, our, our marriage partner is for life. And he wants us to work out our problems. He wants to use, you know, the, the, Christ can help us to do whatever we need to do. And his word 
gives us the answers to what we need to do. But many times we don't like what God's word says. We don't like the answers to our problems because they take work. And many times people would rather walk out of their relationship than work out their relationship. And because everything seemed to just be so nice and it just fell into place, oh, it must be God's will. And they have this sense of peace. Well, it's a false peace because it's not God's will. Now, he wants us to work out our marriages with our spouse, and we all go through difficult times in marriage. But you know what? We're to work it out, pray, and to, and to follow God's instruction. But she tries to persuade her catch here. She tries to persuade him that, you know what, man? You're the, man, you're the very lover that I was looking for. When truthfully, she was just ready to take anybody that came along. Verse 16. She said, I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. Now she invites him into her home. And she describes all that she's done to prepare him for his, for, for his enjoyment. She says, man, I've spread my bed with tapestry. That means it means, it means cushions were spread out ready for use. And, and she says, I've covered the bed with colored sheets. I made them. They're made out of fine linen. And I did that just for you. Verse 17. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. She's answering every objection that this young man might have. You know, if, you know, if he's having this battle in his mind that, you know, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't be here, you know, blah, blah, blah. She is, she is just answering every objection. She says, I've done all of this for you. The substances mentioned here, myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, they, they, were, they, they were dissolved in or mixed with water, and they were, then they were sprinkled on the couch where they would lay. These things are a sign of luxury and corruption. Verse 18 she says, come, let us take, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. She's saying to this young man, let us intoxicate ourselves with love. Verse 19, for my husband, notice, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. So she continues to encourage the young man by making the point that, hey, there's no need for you to worry. We won't get caught. She said, my husband's not here. He's gone on a a long trip. He's out of town. He's gone on a long trip. He's a long way from here. She knew that this this might put this young man a little more at ease, making him feel better, assuring him that everything is okay, that he was safe from her husband. Because, again, she, she, she has even more assurance to offer. Look, verse 20. Here's more assurance that she wants to offer him. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. In other words, he's not only a long way from here, but he has some financial business to take care of. That's going to keep him busy for quite a while. It's going to keep him from coming back until the appointed time. Maybe it's, you know, maybe a week or two. So it's obvious, she says, that my husband won't be back for several days. Verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. In other words, Solomon is saying here, she got him. He gave in. With her smooth talking, she, get, she, she got him to give in. First, she influenced his mind. She broke down his will to her purpose with her smooth talking. She talked him into this. 
And even though, again, he, he put himself in his, this harm's way, it's not all a woman's fault. He put himself into this, this situation. We can never blame somebody else for our sin. We always have a part in it. So he put himself in harm's way. Now he has no power to resist her seductions. With her smooth talk and her flattering lips, she drew him in. His body followed the lead of his blinded mind. His body followed the lead over his better judgment. And he agreed to the allurement and he agreed to her proposal. You know, there's a lot of power in words. And, and, and sometimes they're almost impossible to resist. God's words, the Bible, have a wonderful quality about them and in them to work on the mind. I mean, I think it's the only book that I know of where somebody who has no intention of becoming a Christian or following God can pick up the Bible and read it. And then the Holy Spirit touched their heart and convict them of their sin. And the next thing you know, they're confessing to God, I am a sinner and I want to receive you, Lord. And I want to become a Christian. That's the power of God's word. There's so much power in God's word that sometimes it's almost impossible to resist. God's word has a a wonderful quality in it. Again, to work on the mind and, and, and a great part of that good that we're called to in the world is to be accomplished by means of that little, again, that little member that God has given us, the tongue, through the words that we speak, through the words that we hear. And our words reveal our character. Proverbs 10, 11 says in the, in the New Living Translation, the words of the godly are a, living, a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. In other words, what we say tells people a lot about what we're really like. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. The heart is the seedbed of truth. In other words, you know, people may be talking with us and joking around and, and they may some, say something to us that, you know, is, you know, oh, and then they say, well, I'm only joking. Well, where did that thought come from that came out of their mouth? You see, the heart is the seedbed of truth. As Jesus, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The thing, whatever's in your heart will determine the things that you say. So we, we need to know that. The heart is where character is shaped and that's what motivates our words. And this is why we need to be nourished on the word of God. That's why we need to spend time in prayer and spend time seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then our character will be godly. Proverbs 12, 18 says, words are powerful. They can cut and they can wound. But you know what? They can also heal. Proverbs 26, verses 24, 25, and 28 warns us about the person who speaks beautiful words but only disguise evil intentions. There's only evil intentions behind them. People might cover hatred with pleasant words. But you know what? They may be deceiving you. They pretend to be kind. Don't believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils and flattering words cause ruin. 
Corrupt minds are often found to have greater intelligence in persuading men to sin because human nature is depraved. And all it needs is a temptation to draw men to do the worst evils. No words have greater power in them to persuade men to sin than the flatteries of the strange woman as the one that Solomon is talking about here. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who directs us to strive against sin, calls loudly to us to run away from youthful lust. Paul said to flee youthful lust, just like Joseph did when, again, Potiphar's wife you know, was, was seducing him day after day after day, the Bible says. It was an everyday thing that Joseph was encountering with Potiphar's wife. But when she grabbed him by his clothes and she said, come lie with me, he took off running naked. You see, now this young man, notice, he didn't take off running. But what was the difference? He flirted with the idea. He waited for her. He watched for her. And then when she came out, she saw him and she got a hold of him and she sucked him in. You see, for Joseph to be able to run, to have the power to run when he was seduced, like this young man was, he had to have made a commitment to God. He had to have it already determined in his heart. If that, if it, you know, whatever temptation comes my way, I'm going to run from it. He had already made in his mind, he'd already purposed in his heart, I am not going to fall into sin. And when that time came, he was able to run. And that's the purpose of knowing the scriptures, reading and seeking God in prayer. So that we can make that decision ahead of time. The kind of lust, that, this kind of lust can only be conquered by running Because again, the temptations for them, when they meet with that simple mind like this young man, that impure heart, those, things are, those, those temptations are like sparks of fire around dry grass. When that spark hits dry grass, you know what happens. It blazes up. It becomes a raging, uncontrolled fire. And that's what happened with this young man. The power that's in the tongue of this strange woman wouldn't, again, like I said, wouldn't excuse what the young man did. You, we, the, 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 the end result ends with you and I. I have the responsibility to say no. So like I said, she's not 100% to blame. She was out there doing her thing, and this young man, he was all for it. Because his yielding to her is to be attributed to the depravity of his own heart which makes him inclined to choose the advice of the, of the woman over the counsels of the word of God, which are supreme and they are eternal wisdom. Verse 22. Solomon goes, to say, goes on to say, Immediately he went in after her like an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Suddenly, as if throwing away all that he knew about of virtue and, and, and good principles, he gave them up. He gave himself up to the temptation and with no further hesitation, he went into her. He went into her house. And by going to her house and into her bed, that young man willfully disobeyed God's law. But notice the Lord didn't interfere. He let the young man indulge himself in his sensual appetites and suffer the consequences. God could have stopped him at any time, but he didn't. 
Why? Because the Bible says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, you shall not put God to the test. You know, when God's word tells me to do something, when God makes it clear what his will is in my life, and yet I step out and do it anyway, and I'm going to say, well, you know, God will forgive me, or I'm going to trust. You're, you're testing, you're tempting him. And so he's going to allow you to, to do that because you've determined in your heart you're going to do it. Instead of tempting the Lord, if this young man would have looked up to the Lord, and if this young man would have remembered God's word, and if he would have looked inside himself, and if he would have kept his heart focused on God's word, and if he would have looked ahead <clears throat> to see the terrible consequences of his sin, then he would have turned around and he would have ran from her house. He doesn't realize anymore how serious his action is. He's acting like an irrational animal who has no idea what's about to happen to him. Saul says, you know, I mean, uh, Solomon says he's walking merrily on his way into her house like an ox is on its way to the slaughterhouse. And, it, and, and he's stupidly peaceful as he's about to be slaughtered. He says, or he's like a fool going to the correction of the stocks. And the meaning here is obvious. The young man follows the young woman like a fool or a criminal is led without any resistance whatsoever to bondage and ruin. The young man, not thinking, he, this young man with his thoughtless passion, that's all that he, that's what was running his body, that was, was, was in his mind, this thoughtless passion, he's compared to a madman or an idiot who's been taken away, totally oblivious to what's going to happen to him. Totally oblivious to a disgraceful loss of his freedom. Verse 23. Psalm is till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Here's the end result. The young man follows the adulterous woman until his heart, which was considered to be the seat of the passions or the liver, also translated the heart, the heart considered to be the seat of the passions is thoroughly inflamed or till fatal consequences follow. The, follow. the final result of foolish and forbidden sex. Again, it says that, that he did not know it would cost his life. And, and again, this not just spiritually speaking, we saw earlier in our study that, that through sexual transmitted diseases, it could kill somebody. And so, again, it's the end result here. This man follows the adulterous woman until his heart, again, was, 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 you know, was, was pierced. Here's another comparison. It says that he's like a bird that hastens to the snare and did not know it would cost his life. For example, the lusting young man doesn't think that his life is at stake. He doesn't think that he's bringing upon himself uh, by his animal-like hastiness, worldly and spiritual ruin. Verse 24. Now, therefore, now here's, here's the final counsel. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. So the teacher here, Solomon, the story ends here by him giving good practical advice as of what he has just described. 
He says, listen to me, my children. God says to us, listen to me, my children. He's our father. We are his children. Listen to me through the words of the word of God, through my words in the scriptures. And then Solomon, starts, Solomon started in verse 1, remember, by addressing his son. He said, my son, keep my words in verse 1. But here he turns to all the young people in general. He says, now, therefore, listen to me, my children. So now he's speaking in general to all young people, knowing how necessary his warning is to all who have strong desires, who are weak in the flesh and lack in life experience. Verse 25, he goes on to say, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. He says, Don't go astray into her paths. Verse 26, For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her, notice, were strong men. The adulteress leaves her path scattered with ruined souls. She's like a cold-blooded conqueror who leaves a battlefield scattered with dead bodies. And notice again, Solomon emphasizes, many of them were strong men. You know, men who you would think, oh, these, this guy's solid, man, he's grounded. He's, you know, he's a good guy and, and he's just all these wonderful things. It shows, it shows the weakness that, that can happen. If we, if, we, if we don't recognize our own weakness, that, that, you know, we are capable. We are capable of doing anything and falling for anything, though we would deny that. Oh, I could never do that. I would never do that. And yet Jeremiah 79 says that our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search that. We don't know the depths of wickedness that our heart can reach. We have to trust God's word. You know, we've said, oh, I could never do something like that. Watch out. We need to know that, hey, I am capable because I am a sinner saved by grace. And without God's power, without God's word, hey, I'm, I'm doomed to fail. Many of those men were strong. Many were killed by this type of woman. Samson, David, Solomon, they were all strong men, but their weakness was woman. They were victims of unlawful sex, and they suffered big time for it. Let's close now with verse 27. Solomon goes on to say, Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. The adulteress lives on a dead-end street and lives a dead-end life. It says here, notice in verse 27, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Her bedroom is the den of death and hell. Once a man gets caught up in the hustles of the temptress, the man may go through many stages, but he still ends up in the lowest places of destruction of the body and the soul. Society laughs at sexual sin today. You know, when you describe it as sexual sin, like, what? What are you talking about? Because society actually believes it's okay, and they encourage it. You know, sexual sin today and the perversions of sexual sin today, they're openly discussed and displayed. You know, people would have been shocked 50 years ago, but not anymore. It's commonplace. Today we make movies and TV programs about them. We glamorize them. 
to desensitize the public, to normalize it. I mean, there's even a, a, a TV show, I don't know if it's, if it's on, but it's called The New Normal. The New Normal. It's about a happy homosexual couple living in Los Angeles with successful careers. The New Normal. Well, that's what the world would like you to think. But it's not new and it's not normal. In God's eyes. Again, it's not my opinion. It's not my judgment. It's God's word. What Paul saw in his day and described in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, is now here in our own day. But people get angry and they're offended if you call these practices sin. Because it's so accepted today. But again, it's not our judgment, it's not our opinion. It is in the word of God. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, notice, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that is, his own body, in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says, you know, as believers, we're, we're, not, to, we're not to involve ourselves in sexual immorality. He says, you should know how to possess your body. Don't be like the Gentiles who don't know God. You know, we, 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 we would expect that from people who don't know God. But when we claim to be Christians and we know God and we have a relationship with Him and we believe the Bible, that shouldn't be found in the church. He goes on to say, again, uh, you should know the, how to possess your own vessel, that is your body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He said that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Holiness. Therefore, notice, he who rejects this, what Paul just said, does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. What Paul wrote then to the Thessalonian church applies to us tonight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Warren Wiersbe said this, If the world had more light, there would be less darkness. If the the world had more salt, there would be less decay. If the world heard more truth, there would be less deception. It shows us that we have a job to do to get his word out. Father, we thank you so much for this powerful proverb, Lord. And again, Father, we pray that we would take it to heart, and especially as men, that, Father, that we would not be so foolish to think that, uh, again, we could never fall into sexual sin. Our hearts are wicked. Our, our, Our will is weak. And Satan is much more powerful than we are, God. Lord, uh, we know. Again, we saw examples in the scriptures. David was around 50 years old when he fell into sexual sin. We're never too old to sin. Never. So, Father, help us, God, to keep our eyes on you, to keep our eyes in the word, to keep our ears open to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and to follow his lead. 
Father, help us to watch where we go, what we do, and who we're with, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to, this, to, the, to the Holy Spirit when he says, you know what, this isn't right. You shouldn't be here or you shouldn't do that. We need to flee. We need to run like Joseph did. So, Father, speak to us, God, and, and may, again, may our hearts be stayed on you. May they be fixed on you, God. And, Lord, may we always be looking up, looking up, fixing our eyes upon you, Lord, not looking to the left or to the right, but, Father, just seeking that, that final destination, God, heaven. And, Lord, the enemy will throw many obstacles in our way, many temptations, Lord. But, again, may, may our hearts be resolute. May they be determined, and, and we, may we purpose in heart to not sin against you, Lord. We thank you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.